Welcome to Cinebabble episode 28. I am your host, Ken, and with me as always is my intrepid colleague and co-host, Clint Jones. Uh, tell the people hello, Clint. Hello, everyone. I'm here. It's always so dramatic. How's your week been, Clint? Oh, it's been pretty good, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Eventful? Hmm. Has this been an eventful week like the last week was an eventful week? I'd say week? less so. Okay, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I packed good. a lot less into this yeah. This week. week actually felt like a normal seven days, yeah. normal-ish. So. Yeah, time flowed in the normal way <laughs> rather than <laughs> yeah. packing in a year's worth of content. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my son started officially driving this week, oh. so it has felt like a year packed into a week. It's been slightly stressful, but he's a good driver. Like a lifetime just flashing before your eyes? Several times, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even standing there watching the driver's test, I'm just like, oh, oh, come on, boy. Come on, you can do this. Like I was from 1957 or something. <laughs> and you would dis disown him if he didn't pass. Yeah. Like, yeah. no son of mine. Well, and he rolled up and I had that weird pursed lip kind of dad look where I'm like, good boy. Yeah, <laughs> you did a good job. You did the family proud. <laughs> did you pass your driver's test the first time? I did. Yeah. I did. But I had been driving so much, my dad would just kind of let me drive. And so uh, at that point, it was it was pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have text anxiety, so. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I passed my drivers the first time, but my permit, I took it like three times. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I failed the, the written test uh, once because, and I swear this is still not true, apparently it is slipperier <laughs> after it first rains than when it's an icy road. And yeah. I refuse to believe this. I get that it's slippery when it first starts raining because oil, oil and water. Yeah. I get it. Mm -hmm. I get it. You will never convince me that somehow that is more dangerous than a slick sheet of ice on the road. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. I don't care. This isn't a science podcast. Clint, uh, what are we watching about this week? <laughs> Man, you're a professional. <laughs> so I, you know, I work hard at this. Mm -hmm. I work hard. It's, it's all about the segues. Yeah. It really it, is. You nailed that one. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to try to keep it brief rather okay. than last week where I named uh, 500 films that I packed <laughs> in. It was, it was long viewing. Yeah. It was eventful. Um, so I watched this new comedy special on Netflix. It might have came out a couple weeks ago, but it's called Bo Burnham's Inside. I've, I have not watched, yeah. but I've heard about this. Um, it's fantastic. Okay. I heard good things about yeah. it. Uh, Bo, he did it all during quarantine, like the last year and a half by himself, just in his home, filmed everything, um, and did all of the music. I mean, of course, that's part of his act, so he mm -hmm. did that, but just filmed it, did it, every single aspect of it on his own. And it's a comedy special, but it really nails like how this past year felt just just so secluded and it also nails his state of mind really well now is it is it kind of like just the way you're describing it i what popped into my head was conan o'brien can't stop that documentary film that kind of charted his his kind of stand-up gigs in between the tonight show and kind of the tbs run mm -hmm. is it does it have that kind of feel or was that much more somber um i'd say there's similarities because mm -hmm. it's 
I mean, it is a comedy special, but it really does a good job of just documenting the process okay. of how he made it. Mm-hmm. And just like there'll be moments where like you can tell he's like deteriorating like mentally and like he'll be filming something or he'll start a song and he'll screw up and he just gets mad and like starts mm-hmm. like knocking things over. And it's just like like legitimately, legitimately not trying to be like and I'm sure it's like because he's. Just he's filming it all himself, so he just has this wealth of stuff, and he just left a lot of that stuff in to show really how this has had a toll on him. And um, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I wasn't super familiar with him. I know of him from uh, Promising Young Woman. He mm-hmm. was in that, and um, I knew he was a comedian. I just never really checked anything out, but this one intrigued me. And I was reading up on him afterwards, and he had been dealing with anxiety on the road a lot, and he basically quit comedy for like Hmm. five years. And then right before this, um, the quarantine and the lockdown, he was like kind of toying with going back on the road. And then this happened. And so he was kind of forced to just do it this way. And he, Hmm. and he, uh, and he felt like he was getting better with his anxiety and, and everything. But then like locking himself in, it just kind of all came mm-hmm. back up in this different way. And he really does, does a good job of just capturing that. And what he does with the songs and the comedy portion of it is really inventive. And mm-hmm. he's just like making the most of the uh, situation and mm-hmm. like playing with lighting and just like breaking the fourth wall and just all this stuff. And it's more, it's like an really amazing art piece and it's it's a comedy special but it's really captures something in this time and the subject matter that he's talking about um and see that's that's always fascinated me kind of the sad clown kind of thing the idea of getting to see a comedian where it's it's not just stage presence um there was a documentary that hit netflix and honestly i don't know how long it's been there just called tig it's about tig nataro mm-hmm. have you watched it yet? i haven't seen that one but i know what you're Fantastic. talking about yeah. and it's i think in 2015 she was diagnosed with essentially terminal cancer right yeah and uh you know she's since in remission and different things like that but it completely altered the course of her career mm-hmm. instead of trying to balance stage life and personal life she just brought it into her act. Right. And the documentary, uh, now there's there's two. There's one that's an actual stand-up special they just put up. But mm-hmm. this is this is an actual documentary where you're seeing a lot of the, the stage presence and the stage show, but you're also seeing what's going on behind right. the scene. And and basically, how does this human being that's that's so used to using humor for everything deal with things that aren't on the surface funny? Right they're they're difficult or they're stressful or whatever else it is mm-hmm. but here they are trying to still you know, hone and and dip, dip into their craft mm-hmm. but they have this enormous barrier in the way that that most people would not feel like they could be funny right in the midst of yeah and i know people get turned off by that sometimes like they just want their comedian to be funny they don't want them to talk about social issues and things but like when they're really like kind of naked in front of and mm-hmm. like let it all out like that makes it so much more interesting for yeah. me it, like the sweet and the sour and just like it makes every aspect of it more ri- richer and uh yeah i highly recommend it i okay. i'll have to check it out yeah it's it's I don't, it's probably like an hour or 40 minutes it's longer but okay. it just like totally earns it and it's um i was blown away by it okay yeah okay 
What you been watching about? What you... <laughs> you actually got right uh, before. I was like, "What? What we've been watching about? <laughs> we've been know. watching. We've been we've been watching." <laughs> I, I've watched uh, two things other than kind of what we're covering later in the show. Uh, the first one is called Lisey's Story, and uh, it might look like Lizzie's Story or, I, that's or something what I like call that. It, yeah. But it's it's her her nickname is Lisey, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's based on a Stephen King novel. And it's it's kind of one of his, I would think, lesser novels. Uh-huh. It's one that that when he describes, he calls it one of his most personal. Yeah, uh, he put a lot of himself and his wife into it, and and there's just a lot there that means something to him. Didn't he say it's like his favorite? Yes. Yeah, I thought I heard him say that. Yeah, and it's it's uh, he's also said it's it's about as close to autobiographical mm-hmm. as it gets for him. And uh, the 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 season, I think it only has three episodes out so far. Have you seen it? I've watched the first two. The first two episodes. Yeah. Okay, I'll stick to that. Um, I Well, before I talk about it, what do you think about it? Because I'm assuming you haven't read the book. No, I haven't read the book. Um, but I was interested because I do like Stephen King's mm-hmm. um, writing and quite a couple of his films. But um, I was actually not really into it. Really? Okay. Yeah. And it kind of um, has the same issues for me that a lot of the movies do where – I think in his writing, he's really good at capturing like the internal struggles of the characters. Mm -hmm. And he puts a lot into that, just like internal monologues and like this rich internal life for every character, which Mm -hmm. I think is really strong and which keeps me going in his books. And I think that a lot of directors can't capture that in the quite the right way. And even though he's still like he wrote all these episodes, I feel like that's still missing. And the first episode, I actually started it, and I was like, "Did I? Mi- that, is there an episode I'm missing? Because it drops you right into her right. life, and I, it's like I don't know anything about this person." And I, and then it like, as it's going, it's revealing, it's playing with time and stuff, and so that's kind of starting to fill that in. But it really aggravated me, uh-huh. and I just feel like the whole time I'm, I should be knowing these characters, and I do not know them in any way. And see, as somebody who's read the books, it it's hard to figure out where where a show or an adaptation falls on that because for me, it's just like I know these characters, right. and so now I'm getting to see them brought to life, and I I guess I take for granted little details that when I'm watching, I just assume and and essentially project into the the material, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the the writers, the director have put it there right uh, it's it's this combination of you know where am i at as a fan and and where am i at actually as somebody who's just watching this if i had to watch it with a a blank slate mm-hmm. um i i was particularly curious about this series because i enjoyed i think it was either the first episode or the first two episodes of the outsider mm-hmm. which was on hbo that jason bateman did uh, there was another Stephen King adaptation, and that was one we've talked about on the podcast before, and I felt like it really just sort of took a nosedive. It had a really right. strong start, and then it just – it really lost me. And I, I think the big thing, sort of what you're talking about, he he creates such rich character lives that when he gets to things that are difficult to visualize mm-hmm. – it doesn't matter because what you're actually getting a description of is almost Lovecraftian, where it's this idea that here's this character that you know intimately, right. yeah. and you're experiencing their terror. And he spends far more time explaining their reaction or what they're seeing or how yeah, they're reacting yeah. to something 
than the description of the actual visual. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that that fear or anxiety or or suspense that that comes through his novels is really character based. Right. And that's something you know again I I felt it in this but I also know the characters. Right. And so I'm I'm curious if it builds steam if it holds steady and I'm I'm curious where where you come once it actually kind of get some steam right and it you kind of figure out where it's going with things yeah I, and that's kind of why I want to keep watching it because if it was just me on my own I think I would have stopped but I am so curious to see if that's those blank spots fill in as I'm going and I kind of get attached to it in that way but it's and it was really interesting to me that even with him writing the episodes, I still have that feeling that a lot of the work that I've seen ad adapted, like I all I have that there's something missing that somebody can't capture quite right, and it's still happening. Well, and that has to be hard because you're you're constantly playing with the okay, how much exposition is too much exposition, right? And that's one of the other things I want to talk about. I watched the first episode of Loki, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm assuming you've seen too. Yeah, and that's another one where the whole time I'm watching it, I was I was very aware of the fact that the writers have a very tricky line to walk. Mm-hmm. How much is too much? Right. You got to explain things. You've got to set up this world, and they're both fantastical worlds, one more so than other in Loki. Right. But but you're still trying to map out the rules mm-hmm. of this reality or of this alternate reality or whatever it is. And that that has to be difficult to just just to measure, okay, how much do we give people per episode? Right. And generally I like things that are withholding mm-hmm. and like if it's purposefully done in a way where it, it there's an intentional aspect of that where like I feel like okay they're doing this it's vague for a reason but with this I don't have that feeling like I feel like there's just something not there and um well, I'm really interested how you react to the third episode because yeah. for me the third episode was very good but it almost felt not that it had stalled, but I felt like it was repeating things I already okay. knew. Uh-huh. So I'm wondering if that's actually going to be more clarifying for you. Whereas for me, it felt like I know this stuff. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, did I know that because I read the book? Or did I know that because it was already present in the first two episodes? Right. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, really switching gears then, <laughs> Loki. Yeah. Uh, Loki, I'll, I'll just tell you right off the bat, I, I watched the first episode and was head over heels for this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the, my perfect kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I, I like how delicately it, it unfolded a very bizarre world. What did you think about it? I really liked it too. I mean, I've been a little like hot and cold with the Marvel, like the past few movies and things. I'm like um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. What a Falcon! Yeah, is that it? Falcon. Yeah. And Win- I, yep. I was like, yeah, I could have given or take, like taken it, li- taken and leave it, at, left it. I can't talk today. That's all right. I don't need to talk today. You anybody. don't. No, you that's don't. not we're, what we're doing. We're not recording. That's all we're doing right now. We're just sitting here uh, talking. But I really enjoy the character of Loki. So that was something going in. I was excited about, and. It is. It's the perfect amount of like weird for me that I like in the Marvel series, and it's such an homage to like classic science fiction yeah. that 
that hits a really warm spot for me and just makes me feel all nice inside. Perfect amount of like humor. Um, it's kind of all the things I like about Marvel. I really enjoy, and it's it's not just Marvel, but I enjoy any time you're encountering a strange world and they find the perfect way to put the things that you're thinking into the main character's mouth or somebody's mouth right before you think it. Uh -huh. And so as he's calling them on the, hold on, uh, you know, you're all mad at me because I did something in time. What about the Avengers? Right. They're the yeah. ones that started this whole thing. Yeah. And they just dismiss it. And I love that it wasn't this giant gobbledygook explanation. Right. It was just this very almost ethereal, well, they were meant to do that. Uh -huh. And so that's okay. Right. And so the whole time I'm like, this entire thing for all the rules and, and for all their structure, it's it's all a con. Right. Uh, which to see a character like Loki that's just mischief, uh, un, you know, unhinged, mm -hmm. here he's being thrust into this thing that's essentially a mischievous system, but they're playing as if they're the structure and they're the order, but they're their decisions and, and everything that they're doing makes no more sense than anything he would do. Uh, you know, and I just, I love that kind of mix and match, kind of the, the character really compares and contrasts to the environment that he's in, the world that he's right. in. Right. I like, I think they did a really good job of making those moments very logical. Like yeah. it makes sense. Okay. That does make sense. That Within the show. Yeah. Within yeah. the show. Yeah. And also, it's it was really fun to see Loki kind of completely powerless. Yeah. Like, he has no control in this world. Like, all the things that are his tricks up his sleeve, he it doesn't work here. And uh, that's really fun to see a character kind of in that situation. Well, and, and I don't want to spoil specific things. It wasn't like a giant revelation, but at one point, there there are these very tangible symbols of, of things he's been chasing that represent power. Right. And they're powerless in this place. Yeah, yeah. And the way they play that moment where everything changes in his mind, where mm -hmm. this is the thing that, that was the top. This was what I was after. Right, right. And it's nothing. Yeah. And, and my entire understanding of what power even is in the universe just got flipped on its head. Mm -hmm. And and I loved... That moment of realization yeah. is so good. Yeah. Loki's always been a character, and they've done really well with that through all the movies, whether the movies were great or not. They always have done a thing where he gets beaten down by an idea or realization or revelation, and mm -hmm. he's always working his way back up. Right. He just constantly springs back up. And I loved how that did that in this. Right. Um I, I just I, I love when there's a character that you can watch their mind work. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I really enjoyed he's like confronted with his past yeah. and kind of made to explain himself and yeah. like and explain why he does what he does and and if he enjoys it and yeah. and just like that kind of total arc in the in that first episode of how he reveals how what's actually going on inside of him is so interesting. And you would think that would require very dark, dramatic, but it's light and yeah. it's fun. It has these moments of drama, uh, but there's just a whole gag dead center of him kind of figuring out who he is. Right. Just with the little teleporter collar mm -hmm. uh, where he's often running around the TVA. And mm -hmm. it's just like the show knows how to have fun. Right. It knows how to go dense. It knows how to to ask the right questions, and 
I know it's you know one of six episodes, but if they keep that up every episode, I'm I'm going to be just absolutely in love with this show. Yeah, and especially really interesting that that was the first episode. Yeah. It wasn't a giant like um, action sequence yeah. like bringing you in. It was a very like locked in a room talking about the events of the past and confronting them and that was really interesting which could be boring it could feel like one giant recap like oh we need to fill you in but it didn't feel no, like no, that it at didn't. all yeah I, I just i laughed and and had had a good time with it and it really left me thinking and i hope because what what tends to happen is my brain really starts to spark and i think of all the things something could do mm. and then it does some of them uh, you know, and you're just left like, uh, in, in my head, that was much bigger and, and cooler and weirder than it ended up being. Yeah. And I, I hope, again, I hope this doesn't run out of gas. I hope they just keep pushing the, you know, no, nope, we're going to, let's, let's be a little weirder. Yeah. I was really impressed with the music too. Yeah. Like it really is like an, like I said, an homage to old science fiction, but a lot of like theremin music in it and just like nailing that is so much fun. I just love that tone. And yeah, so it, it's like, I'm, I'm into it for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next six and maybe once it's done, we'll talk about it again and mm-hmm. just see where it went. The only other thing I watched this week was uh, on Disney plus Raya and the last dragon mm. and uh, it's animated. Uh-huh. It's uh it's got some kung fu mm. and some magic. Aquafina voicing a dragon. Nice. And it's uh, you know, kids will love it. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's literally all I have to say <laughs> about it. Was perfectly fine. Yeah. And perfectly harmless. Uh, definitely, well, you know, if somebody has kids, that's you know, yeah. Throw that thing on. But well, eh. speaking of animation, like to go back to our conversation from last mm-hmm. week about the love and robots, mm-hmm. love, death, and robots. And I watched a little thing about the making of that season, and I didn't realize that the ideas for the stories are farmed. Like they come up with all of them. The, the indivi- in house, yeah. The in well, no, the individual studios making the animation, they don't come up with it. They're okay. they're given it the story by the mm. writers of the show. So that's I thought that was an interesting thing. Interesting, but. I have to mull that over, but I think that disappoints me more. Yeah. Because if it's if it's scattershot and it's just different animation houses coming up with the ideas, I could understand it being, well, it just didn't quite work out. But if if you're almost showrunner style and in, in control of what your eight stories are, that's a that's a strange eight stories. Well, right. I mean, it kind of made me feel better and worse about it. It made me understand and kind of respect those individual studios doing the work because that part was out of their control Mm -hmm. and they were just doing what they were given and then also like kind of the the writer's room just like feeling that they dropped the ball Mm -hmm. and they didn't give that part of it enough attention Hmm. but so i that was interesting to me yeah I'll have to look into that. Was that just on YouTube or? Yeah, it's like, you know, one of the Netflix channel. Mm-hmm. They just had like. Oh, a, okay. Yeah. Like a making of kind yeah. of deal. I, know, I like, like that they do that. Me too. Um, it's fun. I watched the the Army of the Dead making of. Oh, okay. And uh, had a better time with that half hour than the entirety of, of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it's just, even if a movie is just not your style, it's fun watching people enjoy making something. Right. And that's. Yeah. Say what you will about Zack Snyder. He really enjoys 
Like if you've ever watched him on set, he just he loves what he's doing. It's clear. And it's it's no wonder to me that that actors love him because it just seems like yeah. this is an environment that, you know, celebrates what can we do next. Right. Yeah. And I, I like hearing that he is like a nice guy yeah. to work with and like is enthusiastic and is nice to the um, actors and everything. That's nice to hear. And then the only other thing I, I totally forgot I watched it. I did go back and watch Watchmen. We had talked about oh, Zack okay. Snyder. It's like, does Watchmen hold up? I thought it did. Huh. There were there were two scenes yeah. that just felt pretty dated and like unnecessary. But mm -hmm. I still enjoyed it, and um, I'm not going to say much more than that. But maybe I'll have to go back and uh, yeah, give it a, give it a yeah. try sometime and and see where you're at. I'm and I'm not trying to. Hype you back up to Zack Snyder. <laughs> I don't think that's going to. No, happen, I mean but... I don't want to dislike him. Yeah. It's just I don't, as a person, I don't. It's just the movies that have come out and recently. And I mean, I from the get go, I've not been into the um, the DC universe yeah. in any way. So I mean, it already has a strike against it, and it's not saying it's his fault. I, I think the only thing I was conscious of this viewing, as opposed to the last time I saw it, is now I've seen. Yeah, twice now the the HBO series, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. and the HBO series does certain things so much yeah. better, and it, it has the time to. Yeah. Um, but it it definitely makes the the movie that Snyder did just kind of pulpier and, right. and less uh, meaningful or or yeah. kind of profound. Um, like I found the series. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, give it a try sometime. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna work on Clint's segues. I I'm do not, the segues here because yeah. you're just I like never claimed okay. To, I've never claimed to be good at segues. Speaking of pulpy films, oh. see what I did there? Wow! Right? Did you mm -hmm. See how I turned that corner? I just leave this up to Speaking you. Speaking of pulpy films, I'm along films, for the ride. <laughs> Clint and I, by by complete coincidence, sort of just uh, found ourselves watching a lot of what you would consider pulp movies this week and and they're all over the place other than the fact that that they get kind of pulpy or comic booky in some ways or or they have kind of that graphic novel feel uh we'll we'll probably end up talking about that but we watched riders of justice shadow in the cloud psycho gorman and then our cinetron pick from last week his house so we're going to start with riders of justice and this is a, a danish action comedy and it was written and directed by Anders Thomas Jensen. And it's essentially on the surface, and especially if you watch the trailer, you would think this is one of those Liam Neeson, I have a, I have a certain set of skills kind of movies. Right. And it's just a, a standard kind of revenge thriller. Uh, my wife has, has you know, died mm -hmm. and my daughter is grieving and I'm going to find the people that are responsible for this. Uh, but <laughs> Anders Thomas Jensen decided, you know what? Uh, Liam Neeson and the Taken series need more of <laughs> math, math, <laughs> math, and some super weird people. Yeah, Clint, uh, what did you think of Riders of Justice? This is why I love foreign films so yes. much. They just throw out all the normal conventions of yep. what like a revenge film should be, instead of like, yeah, my wife's killed, and I'm going to go on this spree taking down everyone. Let's just throw some math in there, some weird um, mathematicians. Um, the just, majority of characters in this film are mathematicians. Yeah. That can't be understated. There's, you know, Mads Mikkelsen kind of playing your your typical, uh, yeah, um, you know, soldier uh, home, yeah, yeah, kind of kind of hard and grizzled uh, military guy. But then otherwise, it's these 
just uh, what is this statisticians yes uh, yeah they yeah. just statistics. But, but like Stas- really uh, like quantum statisticians oh, yeah. that are really into probability you know, the of things of reality. Hap- yeah yeah happening uh, you know that that everything is an equation if you could just figure out all the variables you right. could essentially predict everything and man uh, and the movie never goes super sci-fi at all. No, it's, I mean, it's not like I don't they think discover. it's sci-fi in any way, really. No. I just meant, yeah. I kept like, oh man, if they turn this into, ah, uh, there's the equation behind the world, uh, it would have it would have really lost me. Right. But that's what I really enjoyed about it. It was like, it's this, they're coming up with these formulas yeah. to, yeah, try to kind of predict the future in this way. But it, and they set that up at the beginning really well, but they never go really deep into it. It's just kind of like a character setup. It's just like, that's what these guys do, and that's how they get from this point to this point, but it never goes into, there's this giant scene of math that you're trying to follow. It's just kind of like, okay, that's who these guys are, and that's how they end up um, meeting Mad's character and like they, them going on this journey. And what, what seems to be more prevalent is how damaged these people are. Oh, yeah. They are, I mean, just... Uh, from from trauma to just pure psychological, they've been through the ringer, mm-hmm. and all of those things come to play when they're facing uh, violence or they're they're facing kind of threats or just dealing with normal conflict or ego. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the scenes in this just had me cracking up. Oh yeah. Because it's it's so bizarre, mm-hmm. and they'll be having arguments like children, and here's this military <laughs> guy in the middle that is just trying to figure out what they're talking about and what they're going to do about it, and mm-hmm. they're just... Well, and he's kind of refusing to deal with the circumstance yeah. in like a emotional way in any way. He doesn't want to. He's just kind of on a one-track mind of revenge, yeah. and they've put him on this path because they believe that this um, event that takes place on the train where his wife is killed is not an accident, but is a purposeful attack. So they put him on this path that like, okay, you have to revenge her. And we want, the police aren't listening to us. We are going to take this into our own hands and you are the man to kind of follow through with this. And because so, they essentially have this crazy story, right. this crazy idea, but he buys into it just out of his grief because right. he wants there to be a reason an explanation yeah. to things. It, mm-hmm. it can't just be random. And so it almost gives him peace that, oh, there's a mission here. There's something I can pull off. Right. Because, I mean, he's a soldier who's used yeah. to missions and like going. There's and, a bad guy. There's a bad guy, the bad and guy. I can solve this. And so he's in that mindset. And But it's really an interesting seeing him butt up against these people who have all this emotional baggage and his daughter who is trying to just deal with the trauma and who wants to see like a professional about it. And he's not into that idea in any way. And just the how it really reveals these characters who do have these emotional traumas, but they're also these really quirky, weird characters. I think it really did a good job of like mm-hmm. subtly letting those that baggage and those um past um, circumstances that they've gone through come out in a really natural way. And in a way that almost makes him look like the stunted human being. Right. They have things like love and insecurity and kindness Mm -hmm. and uh, compassion figured out way more than he does. Right. Uh, The daughter 
just clicks with them. Right. Even even there's there's the one scene where suddenly one character that she thinks is is her psychiatrist. Long story, but uh, <laughs> but uh, he says something very harsh to her, mm-hmm. but it's therapeutic, mm-hmm. and it launches her. It almost frees her from this pressure that her dad had been putting her under. And there, there are just these moments. It's really, at the end of the day, it's a found family film where oh, yeah. there's all these people coming together and creating this little family unit mm-hmm. that somehow functions together in a way. The most unlikely of characters coming oh, yeah. together. Especially and, the, the one kid they find. Right. Um, yeah. He's kind of like the sex slave. To yeah. The, yeah. yeah. And they just sort of adopt him and, and protect him. And suddenly he's part of the family. Yeah. And, I know. And I was like, in another film, like where he's kind of introduced to this group and then they're having breakfast the next day talking about getting him a job. And another, like in another film, I feel like maybe even in an American film, it would feel like, oh, what? But it felt so natural, like, oh, okay, because all the characters were so kind of kind and giving. It's like, oh, of course they're going to help this guy out and they're going to set him on the right path and get him out of the situation. And and it's like – and it comes across so like loving and – yeah. Well, and they they all have this understanding of of what empathy is, whether Mm -hmm. they do it well or not because different ones are better at it than others. But they have this understanding of looking at somebody else's life and being able to process their pain and their grief – and then you've got Mads over here as the military guy who he's not capable of that. Right. And there's characters like the one hacker guy who realizes how much empathy he has. Yeah. And he thinks he could possibly be a soldier and um, help Mads in this pursuit. But he, as he's going, he realizes like, no, I don't have what it takes. And yeah. he's kind of- I can't of, shut that off. No. And he, and he, I think he like- likes maybe realizing that, that maybe he's not this possible killer. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, though, this the, the um, writer-director of this, I thought you would find this interesting. He um, co-wrote the Dark Tower movie. Really? Yeah. I would have never guessed that. I, I didn't know that either. I was reading the Wikipedia huh. on him, but he was, I think it was other, like four others too. And he oh, was yeah. There were a bunch of people yeah. credited and uncredited And it on was that his movie. first like American like hmm. film he ever worked on. Interesting. Yeah. They, they brought in, I think it started with Akiva Goldsman and they mm. brought in so many rewriters right. that it just. He might, he might've been like really far down the line Maybe. and it was, but uh, yeah, he's done, hmm. um, couple other films men and men and chicken adam's apple the green butcher and i've never seen any of them but i'm curious now and all mads is in all of them hmm. so they have a long working okay. like experience i hmm. i i highly recommend it it was really good very entertaining and it it had enough meat on the bone that oh, yeah. uh, there there was definitely more there to to process and think and again even even with the the math stuff i say lightly don't let that scare anybody. It's it's something where uh, right at the beginning they introduce the idea that we can't possibly compute these sort of things, so you could never get you know within certainty on an answer. And the movie even plays with that. It's it's not a clean plot at all. It, it gets very convoluted, and sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, sometimes something does have meaning, sometimes it's coincidence. It really has nothing to do with the math. It really has everything to do with these people that are coming together trying to just make sense of their world. 
Yeah, and I liked that it was messy. Yeah. I liked how it goes down these corridors and like some of them are dead ends. And it kind of really plays into that it's these human characters trying Mm -hmm. to maneuver through this situation. And they think they have this, not like a, a key in the math, but really they don't. Yeah. And there's some really lovely moments with that, like where the daughter is... She's been kind of tracking the events that took place that mm-hmm. day on post-it notes on, post-it on, notes on the wall and trying to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters who is a statistician um, sees this and is like, this is pointless. There's so many variables that there's no way anything could compute it. And so but he's it, not dismissing her. He no. understands the pursuit. Right. He's, he's trying to like, I've been down that road. Right, right. And it's, yeah, it's not like you're stupid for doing this. It's a more like you're you're just going to, like, I understand and then you're going to just drive yourself crazy and maybe you should give this pursuit up. And it was a, it's a very kind scene, but it's coming from a person who knows firsthand. It was, yeah. And this is, this is my absolute favorite type of, because sometimes movies feel like they have quirky qu- characters for quirk's sake. And and I tend to that's that's a pet peeve of mine. Mm. I but I love and Wes Anderson does this a lot, where quirky characters are used to explore humanity, and you you don't just have this group of people that are strange. You have this group of people that are strange that reveals something about you, the person, or people in general, or the human condition. And and I love when somebody takes weird and uses it to investigate normal instead of just what can we throw at the screen and and make as weird as possible. Yeah. And there's different like levels of quirk. Like, I mean, I feel like they're quirky people, but like they do, the director, they do such a good job of making it subtle in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's this internal weirdness to it, but it feels natural. And and I feel like like in a Wes Anderson like there's such that deadpan sensibility to his films that yeah you can tell they're weird but like there's a I don't know method to the madness yeah there's a method to yeah. it yeah well and that's with this one it was it's interesting because a lot of times you'll have a main character and the main character has an arc and everyone else serves that central arc the more arcs you try to juggle. In a story, mm-hmm. not just a movie, anything. Right. The more you try to juggle, the more difficult that becomes. And this is one where just about every character on the screen that has any sort of screen time, even minor characters, have some legitimate arcs. Mm-hmm. There's there's a, a beginning, middle, and end to their journey. Yeah. And they're just kind of crossing in the middle. And and I loved how deftly that it sort of balanced that. And that's there's no way I think you could have made a trailer that could convey what this movie is. No, yeah. But I was so glad. I, you know, I just rented it and watched it on Amazon, just sort of a, you know, I'm looking for something mindless tonight. Right. And did not at all expect that. So mm-hmm. really pleasant surprise. Highly recommend it. And um, definitely something to check out. The other uh, or the second movie that we watched was Shadow in the Cloud. And this is an action horror movie directed by Roseanne uh, Lang, I believe is how you say her last name. Uh, but it's about uh, a female World War II pilot that's traveling with uh, a box of, of top secret contents on a B-17 flying fortress. And then uh, not only that, not only is this female coming on board with, with a stash of something secret, but uh, there's, there's something supernatural afoot. <laughs> 
Uh, now, I, before I came to this movie, I'd actually avoided it for a while because reviews were just so mixed on it. Mm. Some people absolutely loved it. Some people absolutely hated it. And uh, I, I don't think until you said, hey, you should check this out, <laughs> um, with, with some hesitance and some warning that, you know, not saying you're going to love it, but you should check it out. And I went and watched it. So, so Clint, let's start with you. What did you think of Shadow in the Cloud? Why did you text me about it? <laughs> well, I, I kind of just threw it on randomly one night because I'd seen the trailer and I was curious about it. Like, I thought it was an interesting premise mm -hmm. um, and went into it not really expecting much at all because it, it did look a little cheesy from the trailer. Mm -hmm. But... I was so surprised by the how it unfolds and the things it does with it and how it's laid out in such a, like it's basically like almost like a one act play or it's very claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, the character is on this flight and she's basically locked in the gunner um, port below. And is just communicating through the radio for probably a solid hour, a solid hour, yeah. and it's an hour forty minute film or something. And the things that they do with that is so interesting. And you're not—I was not expecting that at all. No. And so it really grabbed my attention. And I, at the time, I was just like so baffled by that choice, but in a really curious way. And. Uh, and I think there was a, a lot of really fun pulp elements to it that made it heightened it. So it, it didn't feel super claustrophobic. It felt like there a little other, I mean, it's, she's dealing with these otherworldly like beings, like these um, gremlins. gremlins, basically. Yeah. And so that's another level to it. And I was just really, I don't know. It was really grabbed my attention, and I kept. I mean, kept me going. Yeah. I and and that's where I was really surprised by it too. I I very much enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's not a perfect movie, but I I just I was fascinated with it too. Once she got locked down in the gunner's box, probably about fifteen minutes into that, I it really dawned on me. Oh, this is like this might be most of the movie. Right. They're yeah. they're really kind of hanging with this, she's stuck in this pod, uh, even to the point, really, the only thing you see of, of the other characters in the plane is when she first gets there, mm -hmm. a few flashes of their faces, and then it's all voices over the microphone. And it's it's almost like a, a radio play. Yep. Yeah. You almost could get rid of the visuals entirely and still completely right. follow what's going on until yeah. that last half hour, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get into spoilers here in a minute. But uh, yeah, I just the the structure of it was so fascinating, and I think that's probably where it lost a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think it lost a lot of people in the structure, and I think it lost a lot of people because I don't know that people know how to react to pulp movies, right? And and that's any any good graphic novel, any good kind of pulp novel, they are balancing the real and the wildly unreal. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's hard to hit that without it getting corny or cheesy or, or things like that. I understand that, but that's why a lot of a lot of modern pulp stories will use World War II. Right. Or they'll use those kind of things where they can they can use some some imagery that that suggests this isn't of now. Right. And so yeah. when they're doing fantastical elements, you sort of go with it. And mm -hmm. I I was so captured by the structure of her being stuck in this pod, by the time you start seeing, and this is not a spoiler, it's right in the trailer, when you start seeing these very real, this this creature that that's making its way around the plane, 
my brain just completely went with it. I, oh, I yeah. accepted just about everything. Mm-hmm. But let's let's go into spoilers a little bit here, um, just while we're at it, because I think there's more to talk about there than uh, than just the fact that there's a creature. Because really, the creature is just one more danger. Uh, in addition to, she's noticing from this gunner's cockpit. That that there are other, other planes, planes tailing yeah. them. The Japanese and yeah. they're up, you know, up in the main part of the plane. These guys are completely belittling her because she's a woman, and they're not really quite believing anything she's saying. And they start to catch her in a couple of lies. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you react to what's in the box? I really enjoyed that reveal that she's not actually carrying these top secret L- like uh, documents. It's her child. And I thought that was another thing that really carried that whole section where she's locked in the gunner pit that like there's these, uh, that element of her, them realizing what's in the box and who she actually is. And that really sustained that for me. Like that it wasn't just her stuck down there and they knew every single aspect of it. They really like, there's bringing out these other elements that really, I don't know, just give it a whole new level. Oh, and that's when, you know, these pulpy materials, it's hard because you have to have a certain suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And you have to layer in certain elements so that when things happen, your brain does not immediately go into logic mode. This is not a movie that takes itself seriously. It takes its character seriously. Just like Riders of Justice, mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessarily taking the story seriously. It's having fun with the story and what, what else can we do. But it very much takes its character seriously. And there's not a moment on her face that reads, I'm in a movie. Right. Everything right. about her performance reads, I'm trapped down here. My child is upstairs. Uh, things are falling apart. I've got to do something. Right. And, and that element they take very, very, very seriously. Yeah. And I mean, it's very layered. And like, first, it's like sex relations between she's a woman in this situation. How could she be? She, there's no women um, pilots. Um, they doubt her. They doubt her in that. Like, they doubt who she says she is. They, they doubt her credentials. They doubt her credentials. Yeah. They doubt. Um, like I said, what's in the box, if she's lying about that, she like, and then it's revealed that she, okay, she has a relationship with one of the people on board. And, and she's also, there's the supernatural element of her dealing with seeing these gremlins and they doubt her on that too. And so it's all of this stuff that's slowly being revealed that's building up as she's trapped basically and helpless. And, um, so it, at the time, you're just kind of like I was. I'm baffled by the choice to mm-hmm. do this, um, to uh, lay out the film like this, but also really intrigued and really kind of amazed at the ballsiness to do yeah. that. Especially with okay, like you said, like you're in this situation, a World War II, where that is a heightening element to it. There's supernatural elements, which heighten it, and like. You know, like a lot of like historical revisionism, like you throw in a supernatural element to, oh, like, look how weird we're being. But I feel like in this, it really just lent itself really well to the situation, especially with being trapped because you're in this stressful situation flying in 
the middle of the war. And it wasn't anything bigger than here's just another danger facing us getting to our destination safely. Right. Uh, essentially, this mother being able to take her child to safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't some giant. It's it's not like, and now the mythology and now right. the backstory. Just, right. nope, there's this creature. Yeah. And, yep, there's this creature. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I thought they did a really good job of like compounding all these elements yeah. to make that claustrophobic situation just feel um, really, they used that really well. And then I thought, especially even once she gets out of the cockpit for the last half hour, and at first, I mean, it gets it gets on the surface ridiculous. Yeah. There is no way an actual person would survive what she survives yeah. or would be Falling able to hang the... on the outside of a plane and making her way clear around the outside. And they make it believable within this world mm-hmm. just enough that you're okay with it. But Well, I mean, you already heighten it by having these grim yeah. characters. So it's like you can kind of suspend that yeah. like disbelief that this could be happening. Well, and, and again, she's serious. Mm-hmm. The uh, What she's going through, what she's emoting is serious. The situation, it doesn't matter how outlandish it gets. That's the right. best suspension yeah. of disbelief. That's any movie, sci-fi, horror, anything where you suspend disbelief. It really comes down to, like you were saying with Stephen King, how much do I believe this person? Right, right. How real is this person? doesn't matter what they encounter or what they go through. If I really believe in that person, then I'm invested no matter what gets thrown at them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think literally just one thing in the whole movie kind of briefly clicked me out of that, and that's when she falls out of the plane and the explosion pops her back up. <laughs> I, I love that. that was, yeah. I'm glad you love that. Yeah. That was the one moment where I'm like, nope, too far. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> well, I, I feel like it had earned that at that point. Maybe. Like, I mean, it's stupid. Yeah. It's really dumb. But I, I mean, at that point... It was just the music cues change. It's like a pop, like um, punk song or like over top of it. And it's just goes totally modern. And so it's like that point, like, okay, there's gremlins flying around sure. with bat wings. I, I hear you. I, yeah. But for me, it was the Watchmen moment where, uh, you know, white supremacist presses the button and the floor opens up and it's a trap door. It was, it, oh, it okay. was really like, uh, oh, I don't think you're in that much from me. But that was just me. Yeah. Um, I, it was very easy to, to roll right past that because everything else I, I was fine with. Um, and I especially, I loved her kind of making her way through the plane as it's getting shot at. And that was really genuinely uh, intense. Yeah. And just the bullets riddling through there and taking outside characters and mm. slowly whittling things down. Yeah. I think it earned that moment just because of how of big of a switch it, like, it makes mm-hmm. from claustrophobic she's basically in a coffin to okay it's a giant action film now and like let's just go big with it and it's dumb but it's i feel like everything has pointed in that direction of the music and just how it's filmed and i mean there's the gremlins flying around it's just like it goes yeah. big in that moment and i i enjoyed yeah. it for that and it, i mean it gets i mean they, they survived the plane crash and she's Beating one of them to death. I mean, it just goes for it at that point. Yeah, at, at that point, it was it was uh, Ripley in the in the Queen Alien. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, this this character has earned it. You believe this world. You believe the the rules of this world. Mm-hmm. And yep, sure, she got in a loader and attacked that big thing. You don't even stop to think this is ridiculous. 
How could this highly evolved gigantic creature not rip this woman out of this machine? Right. It's just, nope, that's that's the hero. This is the moment. Uh, I totally buy into this. Yeah. I mean, I was reading the Wikipedia about it, and then she did take inspiration from, like, the alien films. Oh, really? Because just, like, that being trapped and then, yeah, kind of fighting the big bad at the end. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. She yeah. was taking inspiration from films in that vein. So so this one I, I hesitantly recommend just because – Watching it, I I could totally understand oh, yeah. if somebody hated it. Yeah, I I could I I could rattle off a list of people that were like, oh, they would despise this movie, mm-hmm. and not just because of the outlandish stuff. They would have despised it when it's just her stuck in the the cockpit for an hour. Right. I think that's what the, will lose the longer people. they stuck to that, where the camera's just on her, the more the more it had my buy in. Oh yeah. But that's not everybody. No, I could for yeah, me I, it was just so different and such a bold choice that. I just wanted to know how far they were going to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that the camera ever comes off her face. Even once she gets back up, it's it's constantly on her. She is always center frame mm-hmm. as all of this stuff happens around her. Yep. Uh, except on the rare occasion when, you know, the box is dangling out of the ripped open plane and you know a baby's in there or whatever. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I the whole time I was really surprised to find out it wasn't based on some French graphic novel or something. Right. I thought for sure this is exactly the kind of thing that's like a, a black and white, um, you know, just two hundred page mm-hmm. tome. Right. Uh, that that they just adapted and in all of its weirdness and yeah. everything. And also for such a, I mean, I I don't know the budget exactly, but for a small like weird World War Two science fiction <laughs> film. Yeah. The, I mean, the effects are really good yeah. for the gremlin creatures. Like, I, they sold me more than anything that's in um, Army of the Dead. Yeah. And uh, you can just tell, like, I was, that's the thing. Like, I was so baffled while watching it. Like, I I wasn't sure by the end, like, to recommend it or not. But I was just so enthralled by the choices it made. Yeah. Yeah. So I could totally see someone not liking it, and yeah. for the reasons I did like it. Yeah. 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 And again, it just goes back to that fun of personal taste. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't fault anyone for yeah. like, no, that was so boring. Well, and that's that's also one of the benefits too. It's just free on Hulu. Right. Like, just go if you hate it. Okay. Uh, you know, give up on it halfway if you want. It was free. What do you care? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just I love little things like that where you can tell that somebody put just some love and some fun into something. And they were like, you know what? Let's try it this way. Right. We don't have a giant budget. So uh, just, you know, she's stuck in a cockpit for an hour. And essentially the movie is, you know, maybe a plain uh, interior and a beach and a whole bunch of green screen, but it's done very well, like you said. And I think that's what a lot of, I'm so interested in these films that push the boundaries of what they have at their hands. That like they work within the um, confines of like what they have and how they can use it. That something where like they can completely show everything that they have in mind. Yeah. Like doesn't have the same effect for me. Well, and you can take a two hundred million dollar movie and throw transformers and dinosaurs mm. and whatever else on the screen. At the end of the day, it can be amazing CG. But I know I'm just watching an enormous animated film with a couple of live action actors. Right. When and and with with essentially unlimited funds. Yeah. I, I get that there are budgets, but by the time you're at two or three hundred million, a studio just wants to get audience and seats. Right. 
they're they're going to spend whatever they want to spend. And so it loses that feeling of ingenuity mm-hmm. and, and otherness and let's do something different. And yeah. it, it starts to feel very kind of churned out of a production line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've said that before about Marvel movies, much as I love them. It, it a lot of times can come back to that feeling of, OK, here's act three. It doesn't matter how different it was for act one and two. We, we got to have our, our hero fight our big bad and, you know, give the superhero kids what they want, what yeah. they paid for. You could make the argument that with this, that it does do that. But I think it earned it with the first hour of yeah. the film that you're so trapped and you're so wanting this character to get out of this situation that it feels very earned to me and it would have completely lost me if all of a sudden after an hour in that cockpit with her it went away and went and dealt with other characters yes that's that's the thing it's so committed to the camera is locked on her this is her story everything else is irrelevant Mm -hmm. she's the the center of this everything else is something that's that's opposing her getting her kid to safety yeah that they they started and they stuck with it. Yep. And I can go with that. Yep. Even if at the end of the movie, uh, even if it was something I didn't enjoy all that much, I can at least sit back and respect, you know what? They had a different idea. They had a different way they wanted to do it. They had a budget crunch or whatever else, and they came up with a cool way to do it. Uh, that that gets my respect. Yeah, for so, sure. I don't know. It's it's a lot better than a lot of things out there that, that cost way more money to make oh, and yeah. made way more money. Uh, speaking of, our our third movie is PG Psycho Gorman, and this is <laughs> you make him sound like a lawyer. I know, but the Psycho actual, Gorman, <laughs> the Mr. Actual, Psycho Gorman. The actual title is PG Psycho yeah. Gorman. Uh, it's a Canadian science fiction uh, fantasy horror comedy. Is that a, a fair genre assessment? It's about these two kids, a sister and a brother who unwittingly resurrect this ancient extraterrestrial overlord. Uh, and they find out that, that the, the same gem that woke him up allows them to control him. And so he has to listen to their, their every whim. Clint, what did you think of Psycho Gorman? So I, I've been really try, struggling with what to say about this film <laughs> because... There's a lot of elements to it that, in theory, I should really enjoy. Yeah. But I just didn't enjoy this film. Really? I'm so shocked. (laughs) I thought you would have loved this. No, because I feel like, to me, it had all these elements, and it was really... It was just felt like it was playing dress up. Like it had... It was trying to, like achieve this thing that it had in mind but it was all imitation to me like it's it felt like a power rangers film for (laughs) one at one moment and it's just like it's trying too hard interesting and it in all of it it just never landed for me and it had like a lot of things i feel like i should like but it just never it just didn't work (laughs) for me See, my my son, 16, he and I watched this and just laughed and laughed and yeah. laughed. And he kept saying, what is this? <laughs> and I just kept saying, this is what movies used to be like in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And it just, we had this just uproarious time watching this thing. And, and I enjoyed it. But 
uh, as I was as I was talking about Shadow in the Cloud, I realized what's wrong that I, that I hadn't pieced together before. I realized what's wrong with Psycho Gorman is that it doesn't take its characters seriously. Mm-hmm. And so it has all this weirdness and it has all these elements, but really they're elements for elements' sake. And yep. don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. I loved this movie. It was a blast for me. It hit me at just the right mood, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really surprised you didn't like it, but it, it's just completely dawning on me why. Yep, it, it makes total sense. Yeah, it it was. It felt like it was trying to imitate all these things that I like. Yeah. But it never gets it quite right. But you like those things in their pure state, in their original state. Yeah. And that's where kind of the imitation, because at times it almost feels like it's poking fun at those things. Yeah, but it, it's not enough. It's hmm. like, I like that. It's like they saw a movie, they liked something that happened in that film. And then they're like, oh, let's use that. Not like they don't push it far enough into um, satire. And... I think also there's some elements that took me out of it, like some of the acting is not quite there for me. The, the little girl annoyed the crap out of me. And so that was yeah. something that I just could not get past. And I was felt I felt so bad because just like I has the things I like, but it's not mm. meshing together. Man. And I felt like I didn't even want to like kind of didn't want to talk about it because like I don't want to like dismiss the director or anything because I, I know a lot of people are enjoying this film and it has all the right things ingredients but it just it didn't work for me yeah well and just man this is the worst analogy my <laughs> brain has come up with in months but it's it's you know you've you've made this cake you followed the recipe and then you use salt instead of sugar right uh, or something like yeah. that and it looks right mm-hmm. but then it just the ingredients weren't what they were supposed to be right is what I'm hearing from you yeah again for me it it totally worked I'm actually scared to go back and watch it now because now that I've had this epiphany <laughs> I'm scared I'll go back and and just absolutely hate this movie all of a sudden that's why I like I didn't um, want to like dismiss it because no. I feel like I, your um, viewing was like just as legitimate as mine and also like I had the same thought is like if I had watched this at another moment and I'm in a different headspace not thinking about that aspect of like imitation or it's trying to achieve this thing maybe I would have enjoyed no. it more and maybe these jokes would have landed but it also it just there's things in it like it goes too far with some of the jokes like by the end they're in a dodgeball game basically <laughs> for the universe and it's just too far it, like it's yeah. not yeah it just doesn't just yeah. doesn't earn it for you it doesn't earn it yeah and see that's that's when it's so interesting because movies are such a they can be such a personal individual thing or they can be such a community thing yeah for me i'm sitting there with my kid right and he's laughing at the weirdness i'm reminiscing about what those things represent and like weird science and and all those movies I used to watch edited on USA yeah. uh, a network or whatever. And, you know, only later realized, oh, there's much more movie to these. Yeah. Uh, but but I remember growing up with this weird stuff and I remember trying to process it as a kid and just just watching things that that were beyond me. But that were weird for weird's sake, and but it but it was a lot of people just on practical effects and really just coming together to to make their dream. Right. And watching him laugh at that and and try to figure it out was such a nostalgic. Ooh, I I remember 
when I felt that way watching those, you know, like the trauma flicks. That's what I was just about to bring up, the trauma films. It felt like to me somebody who just discovered the trauma films and is like, oh, I'm going to make one of those. Mm -hmm. And it might have come from like a very legitimate, like, part of their heart of making this thing, like really loving that. And that's understandable. But like at some point, I think homage is not enough. Well, and even then it it feels too polished to be a trauma film. Yep. I would have never pointed at that yeah. and said this is trauma. Because it doesn't effects, have that yeah. yeah. It doesn't have the the grime and the grit yeah. and the the like I, I get what you're saying about the performances, but it felt intentionally yes. like they were bad performances. Yeah. Whereas trauma movies they just got who they could get, mm-hmm. and, and they're just not great actors most yeah. of the time. Yeah, even down to there's a cheesy rap song that sums everything up at the over the credits, yeah. and that's just like... Just too much. It's too much. They're, too it just went too far with the joke in yeah. not pushing any element that's new, bringing any element that's new to the game of this, so... Well, and I, I don't know that I liked any of the characters. I liked Psycho Gorman, and I liked the father. The father kept cracking me up. There was moments because... I liked the father, and then there was moments I didn't like the father. <laughs> I just I kept laughing uh, at him, and then I, I really liked the alien. The little girl, you know, I take it, leave it. it that didn't matter to me because <laughs> that was just serving the plot. I didn't need to like her. Um, although I at one point I thought they were just going to kill her and – then I was really going to laugh. The only thing that really, I love their little friend who gets made into, <laughs> Turn the, into the brain, the monster. brain monster, and he just left the brain monster, and he, he yeah. he's just like, when when will I be normal again? And they're like, never. <laughs> that was the only thing I really liked. Yeah. There was a moment with the police officer who gets changed into this like zombie um glory and he's just trying to shoot himself with his own gun and he doesn't succeed so there are things i did like but it was just like it it just didn't all glue together for me by the end and and that's just my experience all right so uh if you're feeling nostalgic for 80s cheese give it a try uh but i don't know maybe you'll come away with it with shoulder shrug like clint i feel like (laughs) i've led you astray clint no, I, I was curious about Don't it. Don't defend it. You know. You didn't lead me astray. I did. I let you down, Clint. No. I did. I don't blame you. I, I blame me. Okay. I blame you now. I blame me. <laughs> uh, our, our last movie is actually our Cinetron pick from last week, and it is His House, um, which was written and directed by Remy Weeks. And it's about uh, this this refugee couple from South Sudan, and they're they're essentially struggling to adjust to their new life in this this small English town, the refugees, mm-hmm. they've basically been told, here's a house, we're giving it to you, yeah. but you need to be normal and you need to be a functional part of society. And if you're not, you're going to be deported. Right. So don't make waves, don't make trouble, don't weird out your neighbors. And, and they get into this house and slowly but surely, stranger and stranger things start to happen. And, uh, and, and they start to suspect that, that they're essentially being haunted. Uh, or this house is haunted. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be a tough one to talk about without spoilers. It's on Netflix. Uh, by all means, uh, I, I think it's safe to say you should definitely watch this. Oh yeah. But, but let's just kind of spoiler talk it and not worry about that because I think a lot of of talking about this movie is going to be about where it goes and and kind of the things that it does. Clint, what did you think of his house? 
Well, I had watched this previously, like around the time it came out, mm-hmm. and I was so blown away by this film. Like, it's one of my favorite horror films of the past, I don't know, five years or so. Um, so I was really, I mean, going in, I was really in, interested in watching it again to see if some of the elements that really struck me the first time hit again. And it did. And it was really interesting watching it again with perspective on how it turns out mm-hmm. and the revelations. Was it c- better the second time? It was, yeah. I, I mm. mean, it was different for sure because mm-hmm. you go in knowing the events and how they unfold and what these characters have done and what they've gone through. So you know that from the beginning. So you're kind of watching it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was really interesting. I was curious going into it again, seeing if it would scare me as much the second time. And it did. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the scariest films I've genuinely. seen. Genuinely. I, I was... I was angry at one point watching it because <laughs> I I scare pretty easy yeah. when it comes to supernatural horror. And it was really, I could feel it just scratch in the back of my, my it skull. It doesn't let up. It, it does not uh, by the time it gets going. And I this is the first movie in a long time. And that's after all the, the horror movie binge I did you mm-hmm. know, over the last however long. And um, this thing gave me literal nightmares. Oh, yeah. It it really messed with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just that turn, kind of what you're alluding to, spoilers again, but at first it's a, okay, this house is haunted. Then you're starting to realize, no, this house isn't haunted. These people are haunted. Yeah, yeah. Then you're realizing they're not just haunted because they've lost their daughter. There's a scene where it completely upends everything you've thought about who this kid is and who these people are. And it very much changes. I went from being on this guy's side mm-hmm. and being, you know, just in the bag for this husband to completely 180ing and now rooting for the wife and, and kind of just low key despising this guy. Mm. Once I realized, you know, who he actually is and it's not, not that I blame him. When you actually go back and you see oh, what right. happens, yeah. I get it. Yeah. I, I, it's it's not like he's some monster. He's a bad person. The events, I, I can see, and they did a very good job with that. But here is this, this story about not, oh, we just need to get out of this house. At one point, the ghosts even say, like, we'll just follow you. Right, right. There's nowhere you're going that we're not going to come with you. Yeah. And it's that idea of being haunted by memory, being haunted by regret. And that tapped into In your something. Actions. Yes. Yeah. And that tapped into something so real, it, it went beyond your standard ghost fare. Right. And it became much less about the scares or the visuals. And it was much more about there isn't a getting away from this thing. No. It's something you already did in your past. Now this thing is with you. How do you escape something that you've already done? And that just there there was a psychological level to this. Oh, yeah. There was there was a literal terror level to this because it's very effective and it scares. Yeah, and, and the character. Yeah, yeah the characters yeah. are so strong, and they they spend a lot of time building the relationship yeah. between these people and the circumstances they've gone through and making you root for them in in their new lives and wanting to succeed in this 
horrible kind of setup that they're in where they're they be, they can't work because yeah. they they're, they're not allowed to earn a wage. Oh, everything's stacked against uh, yeah, them. Yeah, and they're trying to make the best of the situation, but then on compounded on top of that is this supernatural element. And I really enjoyed it. It's not a straight up it is haunting, but also there is an actual real world supernatural element yep. where it's they're basically um in the debt of this witch or like this witch has them and like is haunting them and showing them these images and like there's a way out that like basically through blood he has to be punished he has to be punished for his crimes yeah. of I mean I don't know if you want to completely go spoilers but like yeah yeah um, I'm, I'm good with it basically they are they steal this little girl um and when you go back and watch it again realizing that I mean she probably most likely would have died if she was left so in the circumstances he made the not the a good decision but like you would it's you He's understand not a monster it. no you understand yeah. the circumstance it's not like he intentionally went out found a kid kidnapped no. a kid just so he could leave it's it very, was heat of the moment it heat of the moment survival instinct kind guns of guns bearing down on you yep but you realize that like there's just so many elements stacked against them that they you understand yeah yeah well and that's there's this it was it was so uncomfortable. It's one of the most uncomfortable scenes I think I've seen in a long time. And it it had nothing to do with the hauntings. He goes to the the British um, intermediary or or the person that's that's kind of Matt Smith. Yes, Matt Smith. Yeah, he's in charge of placing the refugees and stuff. And he's he's a genuinely nice guy. Yeah. And the husband's sitting there trying to explain and come up with excuses as to why they need a new house. Right. And you can see all over, and Matt Smith's character keeps saying to him, you don't want me to send this report through. They will send you home. Right. And he's doing everything he can to try to talk this guy into, like, guy, just, just walk out of here. Right, right. Stop pushing this. Mm -hmm. If you keep pushing this, there's going to be an inquiry, and you don't want an inquiry. You're going to be sent back to Sudan if you keep doing this. And and this scene just goes on and on and on, and it was so uncomfortable because here's somebody trying to help another person, but that person is in such terror, right, right, that they're not getting what's what's necessary for their own survival, right? Because they're so desperate to get out of that situation. And then, so here I'm thinking: here's this this immigrant couple. They're not only fleeing this country; they're not only fleeing certain death in this war-torn country, mm -hmm. which is already an awful position to be in, a helpless position. Now here he is again, and he's essentially begging this guy, help me. Right, and, right. And he's feeling helpless all over again. Mm -hmm. And it just, I, I don't think the movie is preachy in any way. Oh, no. But, but it's so kind of dug into what it must feel like to be a refugee, to be that kind of immigrant that is just trying to escape something awful. And you're just trying to to get through. Right. And you're just trying to make sure, okay, we're here. We gotta stay here. But this is a nightmare. There's there's all kinds of things that that are just not built to make us comfortable. Right. And I think that's those elements are what also make it so strong for me. Yeah. It's same it had the same effect on me that like Get Out had, yeah. where it has such a social commentary mm -hmm. and like uh just like this really rich thing that it, like like way of I don't know, like things that they're the they're living through, mm -hmm. like the black experience. 
And the same thing happens in this, where there, it's like this, this couple who's fleeing, and it's a very real world thing that's built into it, that it makes it so much richer and like the emotional stakes are so much higher. And it really, I don't know, it gives it a really, this building block, this level, this ground that it's built on so that the frights and the supernatural elements are even that much more heightened. Yeah. And I, that's, I don't know, it had the same effect on me that that film did. Well, and it just, it feels so timely. I, yeah. I think you see so much with uh, with modern immigration, with illegal immigration, uh, you you have this element where the, the, the vernacular, the thinking is, oh, these people are just coming because they want our money and they want to take our jobs mm-hmm. and, and they just want uh, greener grass on our side of the fence. And then you go and you actually explore this stuff. And this is people who are willing to put their children on top of a train and ride hundreds of miles because otherwise their kids are either going to be killed or recruited into gangs or their families under threat. Like what family would not be right. desperate and go out of their minds and out of their way to try to get somewhere, just anywhere that's that's remotely safer. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, once you start to understand that, that that's the situation going on, it's hard to then turn it into a, oh, they just want our jobs. Right. Um, and, and something like this, I, I think that's kind of the power of film, not to be cheesy, but <laughs> kind of the, the power of film is is this is not a preachy film. No, no. But I think it does far more than, than most uh, news stories could do in trying to convey what it's like and why people would flee a country. And they're not thinking about where they're going. They're not thinking about your job. They're not thinking about no, it's survival economic and... opportunity. It's pure survival. Right. It's... And... it's Primal trying survival. to do the best for the, your loved ones, yeah. and um, and I think also like I think something like this probably is more powerful than maybe a straight drama about yeah. that situation. And I mean, it plays up the power of the supernatural element mm-hmm. because it's like they're coming from this awful situation where they're basically going to be killed, and they go into the situation where they're being haunted and they're so terrified by this situation that they're now in that they're almost contemplating going back. So it just really heightens that element of like, this is so terrifying. And so it all kind of works together in this way. And each are saying so much about each situation. Well, and he's terrified and she says very directly to him, "Uh, you think this scares me? Right. Do you not remember what we've been through to get here? And you he's kind of some, forgot. Yeah. You you think some ghost or a witch mm-hmm. freaks me out? That doesn't scare me. People scare me. The people that we fled scare me. Right. This is nothing. Yeah. This is, you know, boogeyman in the dark. And she's not dismissing it, but she's just like, and, and I, I'm looking forward to watching it again just from that, because one of the things I had a hard time I didn't think it was a fault of the film. I could feel her, this tension against him. And I couldn't understand that tension. Yeah, it reveals itself. It reveals itself very, very organically. And I'm so glad they did it that way. But at the beginning, I'm like, why is she so mad at him? And I thought it was just, okay, she's here, but she's just struggling with being in this new place. And she's homesick. And yeah, they escaped death, but she misses 
home. Yeah, kind of like a fish out of water that yeah. she can't get used to the new yeah. bowl. <laughs> but then to realize she's honed in on on what's happening supernaturally, and she knows exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. She knows exactly what he did and what they're responsible for and what's come hunting them, essentially, and, right. and that's followed them along. It's essentially, it's it's not just this random entity. It's a punishment for what this guy did that led to the death of this kid. And it's not like he killed the kid. It's not like he's a bad guy. No, yeah. It just, circumstances went that way and blood is owed, essentially. Well, I didn't realize, I mean, watching it again, there's a moment of like dialogue and exposition, like talking basically about the witch and the circumstance of like owing blood. And like, cause she's, I don't know if it's her telling the story of this happening um, to somebody she knew, or it was just like this folklore that she's mm-hmm. telling. And that happens a lot earlier than I remembered it. So, it, and it really made me reframe like, <laughs> oh, they they kind of set this up, like reveal this earlier than I thought they did. And so it just then hearing it then and like, oh, watching it play out yeah. um, the second time, like, oh, they really kind of set up that or revealed that like they stole this girl or they what they did um, much earlier than I thought they did. And and even then, even if you're oblivious to the depth of it or to the to the social commentary or all of that, it's just a spooky flick. Oh yeah. It's a genuinely oh. even if you just went at it from a horror direction, mm-hmm. that scene where every time he turns the lights off, they're there and he turns the lights back on and they're yeah. gone. And then he crosses the room and he turns around and there's just that little girl creature ghost standing by the light switch yeah and you know she's going to flick it off oh my goodness that destroyed me yeah me too and that's that's what came back in my dreams what came back in my dreams that night yeah was lights on and off and these things just being there and that well oof, I, I like oof. i said it just it just keeps escalating too yeah. it's not just like oh she he sees something in the dark or and then the lights get flicked yeah. back on it's like Flicked on, flicked off, and it just keeps building till there's more ghosts, more ghosts, yep. and it becomes more real yeah. within the world where she's basically going to slit his throat, yep. and you're not sure. And if they're this, all over him. Yeah, and you're not sure if it, this is a, like in reality he could die from this or not. And they just do so much fun stuff with like them crawling through the walls, and like it's just like. And there's stuff where it just genuinely menaces him. Yeah. It's not always outright terror. That scene where he's waiting for it with the lantern mm-hmm. and then the, the light dims and turns in the campfire and you just see its sort of shape and eyes. His eyes glowing. In the darkness. Oh, and it's yeah. just talking to him and it's essentially negotiating with him. Oof. Oh, and the design of that, the yeah. witch creature is yeah. so good. Like it reminds me of from um, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, the Do Pale you know, Man. Was that practical? I think I to feel some degree, like it was like yeah. a Doug. I don't think it's Doug Jones. No, I think it was, but I real. think it's practical. Yeah, to some, uh, and it might have been heightened by some CG, but, but it had to have been because it looks so good. Yeah, well, and just watching how it was interacting with him, and, yeah, and even when its fingers are going into his arm, yeah. that's that's a practical. I know yeah. that's a practical effect. I could see how they were doing that. Mm-hmm. Looked real, but yeah, oof. But yeah, it it just. Every level of this movie, I, I 100% agree with you. One of the best horror movies I've seen in in a long time, uh, just because it it registered on so many different mm-hmm. levels. And it just, even when you would start to get comfortable with the visuals, it would come in at you psychologically. Even when you would get comfortable with that, comfortable is a strong word, but even when you would get used to it, 
it would switch and give you something else. And then finally, when you're like, okay, I understand the rules of this. Now it's time for the, the usual. And here's how we defeat it. Nope, complete plot twist, really just a story development. No, let's reframe exactly what this right. thing is. Yeah. Oh, just masterful writing. And I mean, like the scares, I, like you're saying, you kind of get comfortable, but they do things where like they're just the this, they're just watching throughout the holes in the wall where it's, it's just like a constantly there yeah. and you can't escape it. And like you think, okay, if you have the lights on, I mean, he's yeah. there's a whole scene where he's fixing the electricity in the yeah. house and he's thinking that might solve the problem. But no, it's the middle of the day and she, he can see the girl just looking out through the yeah. holes in the wall. And it's just yeah. completely reframing itself as it's going. And not in a way where it's breaking the rules, but yeah. in a way it's like reframing the rules and like adding to the rules in a very organic way. Well, and and after he begs Matt Smith just to get us out of the house, uh, almost not too far later or not too much longer later, uh, she goes outside of the house. Mm -hmm. It The house has nothing to do with it. Right. It tracks her outside of the house and it's messing with her mind. And, yeah. and communicating with her outside of the house. And even before that, when she's walking the streets and suddenly it gets very labyrinth-like. Yeah. And she keeps seeing the same kid again and again. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, nope, it's it's like it is not confined to this house. Right. There's there's nothing there that that you're going to escape this thing because no more than you can escape yourself because it's it's attached to you. Right. I also I really love the little scenes of him outside the house kind yeah. of trying to assimilate into the culture and like him going out and buying clothes that are more modern or to the place that they're in and like um, just things like that where he's trying to just I loved, in. I loved that scene and I loved any other movie would have made a plot point of it and a scene of it. But the whole time he's shopping in the in the background, out of focus, yeah. you see a, a, a mall security guard tracking him yeah. and walking with him. And I thought, you know, oh, this is leading to something. No, it's just it's constantly there. Yeah. And if you watch the background, they are constantly being watched and judged or evaluated mm -hmm. or followed or it, it's it's just the idea that even if it wasn't this supernatural stuff going on, you're not safe here. No, uh, right. Nobody loves you. Right. Everybody is is suspicious of you and yeah. looking out for you. And and you know he has to keep saying we're one of the good ones. Right. And I mean it's that same way like in the in the, um, the uh, other movie I was talking about. Oh, get out. Get out. Same way like yeah. it does that same kind of thing yep. where it's just like you are never going to completely fit in here. Yeah. And I feel like the best science fiction, best horror is like always has like this element of reality and it's saying something yeah. about society in this way that and it uh, I think that always is the strongest stuff to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I Thoroughly enjoyed it, and even though it gave me nightmares, and I hate you for it. <laughs> I mean, I, um, like, how rare? I mean, you see, there's like it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Like, how often does a film have that kind of rating? And it's just like kind of. I mean, I could see people not liking it, and not they just want something that's a little more fun. But like, man, it's just so much built into this film. It's 
See, this is why, like, streaming services bring on the original content, bring on the movies, let them do it, because this would have never gotten a release in a theater. This movie 10 years ago would have never been made. It wouldn't have, it may be direct to video, but even then it wouldn't have had enough backing behind it to get the talent it has. There's, There's this unique kind of intersection in time where you can have something go direct to streaming, which used to be this four letter word. Now it's like, ooh. There's, there's not just diamonds in the rough here. There are legitimate artists and filmmakers that are getting opportunities they would not get otherwise. And, and with budgets they would not get otherwise or, or actors or, or things like that. Yeah. But that makes me really sad too because I, I would really I love – Like that. a film like this should be seen wider. Should. I mean – Should. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a film like Get Out, I mean, just snaked by because yeah. I, I feel like it's in the same realm where it, I don't know. I feel like and it'd even be great then, if films I, like I this. I feel like if that was any other filmmaker, I don't think it would have gone the way it did. Yeah. I think it was because Key and Peele had just ended. Hmm. Here you have somebody that's that's culturally very popular and now they're making a horror film. Yeah. And there was this curiosity and this buzz behind it. Good for it. I'm not, not dismissing no, no. it because of that. It just that happens with a lot of of different films uh, that go theatrical. I I agree with you. I I wish in an ideal world I would have seen this big mm-hmm. and oh, in it's so scary. It would have destroyed <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, it was already uh, terrifying. But if it's between not having something right. or having it streaming, yeah. you know, I'm I'm glad we have the opportunity. I it wouldn't I don't think it would ever happen. I would absolutely love if there was like a Netflix series of theaters right. where there has rights to show the films for a month yeah. came out or yeah, just you know in in your local regal mm-hmm. there was a Netflix room mm-hmm. and they they show some of the movies early so you can get the theatrical experience yeah. with something like his house. Mm-hmm. Um, don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but it yeah. wouldn't be impossible either. Just something where I can I can experience something that would be a smaller screen, larger, um, you know, just for for certain caliber of projects. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how you would go about doing that practically, but I, I get that I'm already paying a subscription service. I would lay down ten bucks to go watch this thing big screen. Oh yeah, uh, before I had seen it small. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it, they, and they have the platform to promote it too, yeah. because they could be promoting like, oh, for the first, um, I don't know, two weeks or whatever, yeah. it'll be in your local theater, yeah, and like constant, like I mean, they're always oh, they're ch- one deal away with Regal. Uh, all it's going to take is somebody thinking of that, right? Uh, and maybe theaters being in a a, a financial crisis like they've been this last year, maybe that's the kind of thing that could actually produce a deal like that. But I mean, especially mm. with like big films now going to Netflix and other yeah. platforms like you know, Army of the Dead, like you would think that something like that would do something in that w- way. Yeah. 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 So I I don't know. I, I absolutely loved it. I'm looking forward to watching it again. I'm um, glad you liked it because I, I, really... was, I was blown away with it. And I keep trying to tell people to watch it like I've been – but. I hated how much I loved it because I'm telling you, it it you to prove me, me wrong. good. It no, it just it really the whole time I'm watching it, I was just like, oh, oh, please, I I can't do this. I can't. Oh, it's so. Mm-mm. I mean, I feel like I'm so desensitized to like horror films at this point. When something actually yeah. really scares me, I love that it can do that. Yeah. That I still can be scared by yeah. something is I I am like instantly like oh. 
Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what Sinatron has for us uh, this week. Hopefully as good as his house. And then I I don't know if any maybe you just think we make this stuff up. There is there is literally a Cinetron uh, app. Uh, it's not a Cinetron app, but Clint uses an app. I made we, my own we app. Actually, you made your own. Yeah. So it is a Cinetron app. Well, no, but we gotta we gotta get Cinetron to the people, Clint. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's an actual randomizer. We we do not know what we're about to watch. So when Clint laughs. I I just I don't know what's about to come across the table. So I kind of threw this on here haphazardly. <laughs> oh, I mean, okay. I didn't. Sinatron must have done it. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, so I don't know if you've actually watched this or not. Uh, Bill and Ted Faces the Music. I have. Have you? Have you? No. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. I have strong thoughts okay, good. about Bill and Ted Face the Music, and I am excited for you to watch it okay, good. so that we can together have strong thoughts <laughs> uh, about Bill and Ted face the music. Nice. All right. All I right. think that'll be fun. Yeah. I, mm, yeah, that would have been, <laughs> that would have actually been really fun this week. Oh. Not that I regret his house, yeah. but with all the pulp stuff, uh-huh. that would have been a fun one to add on. Hmm. So, okay. No, no, I'm, mm, all right. keep my mouth shut. I actually shut. haven't seen second Bill and Ted, so maybe I, I have to rewatch that or have okay. to watch it. Uh, Please watch it because yeah. I, I will tell you up front, uh, people love that movie. Yeah. I don't get why. Okay. It, it is Blade Runner to me. Like you original like the first Blade one? Runner. I love the first okay. one. First one still holds up for me. I enjoy it. It's a lot of nostalgia, yeah. but I enjoy it. The second one, I remember not really enjoying as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I've tried it different times over the years. Like now I'm smart enough. No. Yeah. No, I just, I've, I've never gotten into it. But based on Face the Music, I would definitely say, Watch the second one. I figured one, I probably Because there's should. a lot of callbacks yeah. to that one, too. Yeah. So, all right. Bill and Ted face the music. <laughs> hmm. All right. I'm, I'm good with this. Okay, good. I'm good with this. Okay. Uh, so, this has been Cinebabble episode 28. I, I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Uh, we will be back next time with a whole host of new movies. Mm-hmm. And Bill and Ted face the music. Faces? Face? I don't know. Face the music? Anyway, uh, they do a third movie, Mm -hmm. and that's what we're going to talk about. So uh, until next time. I'm Clint. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not Clint. No. All right, kids, have fun. Bye.